This is Performance Deliver, insider secrets for digital marketing success with Stefan Horst and Dave Antiel. Welcome to the Performance Delivered Insider Secrets for Digital Marketing Success podcast, where we talk with marketing and agency executives, learn about how they build successful businesses and their personal brand. I'm your host, Stefan Horst. Today, I'm happy to have as our guest, Jacob Bartsgard. Jake is the CEO and founder of Disruptive Advertising, a PPC agency that has rapidly grown since it was founded six years ago. Disruptive works with companies like Guitar Center, Panimac, and Bloom, to mention just a few. Jake, great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. Um, Jake, before we before we start talking about you know how to to grow an agency from one man operation to a thriving agency, I would really love to hear how did you get started in digital marketing? Yeah, you bet. My um, my introduction into digital marketing is a little different. Um, I did not get a marketing degree or ever anticipate that I would be working in marketing. Never had even even considered it, for that matter. Um, I got a degree in information systems, a little bit more technical in nature, and I took a job with a local booming company called Omniture at the time that was later bought by Adobe, mm-hmm. and uh, and they uh, hired me for my technical abilities. So I actually helped companies implement uh, Site Catalyst, now Adobe Analytics, um, as their analytics solution on their website, and uh, helped deploy the code and the tracking and solutions in place to, to help Fortune 500, 100 companies get good web data. And uh, the interesting part of that is over time, a lot of these companies would engage me to help analyze and gather insights from that data and and give their marketing team recommendations. And what I found over and over again was that I would find opportunities with, hey, these keywords, you know, you're spending a lot of money on these and yeah, they drive conversions, but it's not actually translating into revenue for your business. I'd I'd recommend spending your budget over here, over there, and pulling back in these areas. And little by little, I just started getting exposed to digital marketing, and especially on the PPC side of things, where it was the easiest to track uh, mm-hmm. performance and what was going on. And so that's how I got introduced uh, to PPC marketing, and 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 what kind of got me started down that path. Oh, great, that's interesting. I remember the time of Omniture uh, back in the day before it got bought by Adobe. So. When you worked for Adobe, um, your LinkedIn profile says a senior digital marketing consultant. Um, was there a particular moment when you thought, you know what, with, with all the data that those analytic systems collect and the obvious blindness of companies to read the data correctly and then make adjustments in order to get a greater return on investment or return on advertising spend, why am I not founding my own company? Was there that particular moment where you made that decision? You know, it, it was, I would say it was more of a progression. I actually thought that uh, I did plan on breaking off on my own at some point, And I actually thought I would just be freelance uh, analytics consulting. That's okay. what I thought I would be doing. And, um, and so I actually took a job outside of working there and um had a very open relationship with my with my boss and said, hey, I do plan to start uh, at least consulting and or an agency at some point. And he was open and okay with that. Um, and that way, uh, because I did have a non-compete for a year after I left and I wanted to make sure I honored that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in the meantime, 
after I went through that process and then did start to uh, get some analytics contracts, I just ran into the same thing, which was I would find the insights and they didn't have the ability to act on those, either due to bandwidth issues Mm -hmm. or they just didn't have the technical ability. And so I'm like, well, I'll, I'll do it for you. And that's when I started to do more fulfillment and execution on the actual PPC side of the business. Interesting. So a few minutes ago, you said, you know, you don't have the typical kind of someone studies marketing or digital marketing moves in, starts as a PPC coordinator or, or digital coordinator. Um, did you teach uh, yourself um, the PPC management and, and, and Facebook marketing skills? I did just trial and error and bouncing ideas off of other people in the industry and um, definitely learned the most from my mistakes and found a lot of wins too. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Um, so, so when was it then that you decided to, uh, to found your own agency? Um, and did you, did you start off with being the only person in, in that construct or did you start off with having a partner or several people that work with you? Yeah, so I had a, so in between uh, leaving and, and working uh, for this other company outside of Omniture, um, I also uh, had a short-lived wholesaling business mm -hmm. um, that, that actually, you know, was a software that eventually moved to the cloud and kind of removed me from that, but uh, made a decent amount of money in a short amount of time that kind of put me in the position that I felt comfortable breaking off and starting that business. And, uh, and so I, I kicked that off in September of 2013. And at the time I did have a business partner, uh, someone that I had been interacting with for a while and I uh, got going with him and, uh, realized pretty quickly for no fault of his or mine, uh, that it just wasn't the right fit from a partnership mm -hmm. standpoint. And so literally two months into it, uh, we, we did end that professional relationship and kind of moved our separate ways uh, for a variety of reasons. Okay. So you mentioned that you started off with a lot of analytics work. Um, how did you get your first advertising client? Was that kind of a progression out of you analyzing their, their data and then going to them with suggestions and then basically upselling that you could actually also do the management of the campaigns? Yeah, that was the situation with my first two clients. And then after that, people started uh, coming to me and I positioned myself as well uh, to just start directly with uh, Google AdWords uh, primarily at the time. And uh, so, yeah, that's how it started with the first two contracts. But then beyond that, it moved pretty quickly into a PPC focus. So many, many companies or many many people have always the problem that they start off as a one-man show and then growing from there while, in this case, paid media. How, how did you go about to, to grow your client base while being, you know, a one-man operation? Well, um, by the time I got the business going, and, and by that I mean when I uh, discontinued my full-time employment, At that point, I already had a decent-sized book of business that allowed me to, to hire someone right mm -hmm. out of the gate. In fact, I did that before I even formally launched Disruptive Advertising with my initial business partner. Um, 
And the way that I got my clients was just through my personal network and, and referrals and went to networking events and just kind of just hustled, you know, just networked, talked to people, figured things out, wasn't afraid to reach out to people on LinkedIn um, and got our first, you know, probably my first 20 to 30 clients that way uh-huh. um, and did all of the fulfillment myself, then eventually hired someone that I knew to help me with that uh, at an hourly rate. Um, that's when I decided to do it full time and just formally get the business going. And, uh, and that's how we kind of got things off the ground. First clients were just personal network and just hustling. Okay. So when you, when you started off picking up clients, did you set yourself kind of a, you know, a minimum fee level that they would have to pay or minimum spent level or were you just you know happy to build the book of business doesn't matter what their investment or their fee is that you would get out of them well i wanted to make sure that i could help them succeed and that it was worth my time uh-huh. and so my first couple of clients actually had pretty large budgets in the hundreds of thousands of dollars per month okay um and and i and i think that because of my background and enterprise experience they felt pretty confident in working with me Mm-hmm. where a lot of people just starting out don't necessarily have that background. Um, so my first my first couple of clients had large budgets, um, but then I also took on quite a few with smaller budgets as well. And I, and I believe at the time, the minimum that I was charging was uh, about a thousand bucks a month to manage that. Um, and I've, yeah, we played around with that, but that was, and that, yeah, that's about where it was. <laughs> and I assume over time you kind of, increase that and, and adjusted it based on the demand and, and, and the goal of the company? Well, actually, um, today we work with, so we've got about 120 people in the company now, mm-hmm. and we service about 500 accounts. Wow. Um, but, in, but in particular industries, we'll actually service those at like $500 a month because we've got a really tried and true strategy that, that is easy for us to implement and deploy for them even mm-hmm. with small budgets. Yeah. Um, and then in other industries, we don't want to touch anything that's less than uh, $20,000 a month in spend because we just know that it's going to be hard to be successful um, in, in that if we try to go any less than that. I see what you're saying. So I would assume, you know, dental practices or something like that, they probably don't spend, you know, tens of thousands of dollars if they are, you know, one location practice uh, for them. You know, you create a, a campaign structure, a system that, that that works quite well for one, and that can be replicated for for other clients. Therefore, a lower fee, um, you still make a decent amount of, of 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 profit of that client, basically. Correct. Yeah. So, as you you know, after doing all the hustling, after bringing people in, obviously the responsibility to make sure that you can pay everyone at the end of the month uh, increases. Have your business development efforts changed over time? So from you going out at networking events, reaching out on LinkedIn to, um, to where you are now? Yeah, and if absolutely. so, how? So uh, right now we run, so we, we do almost no outbound efforts anymore. <laughs> um, we do, we do, you know, sometimes we'll attend conferences for fun and still go to some networking events locally, but that's that's almost a non-factor uh, in the business at this point. 
uh, we've just taken the time to uh, develop our, our site authority. We have uh, invested years and thousands of articles into our blog. Um, we spend a lot of media with both uh, search, social, video, uh, in promoting ourselves and having good nurturing and retargeting campaigns. Um, and so we, we've just got a pretty well-balanced marketing strategy at this point and, uh, and have quite a few companies reaching out to us every month. So would you be, you know, how, how does that look like? Um, let's say, you know, after hustling, um, what was the first next business development activity you did? You, you mentioned, you know, looking at your website, obviously you have a, you have a huge amount of articles, but what was the next business development activity you basically implemented after getting off the ground? Well, the next strategy was um, from, from an inbound standpoint, uh, I needed to have a team in place to do that anyway. And mm -hmm. so while we were still doing a lot of the networking, um, uh, working from client referrals, uh, getting some organic traffic and paid traffic to the site, uh, what, what I needed to do next was actually get someone on the sell side up to speed that could close deals without me being involved, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so that was really the next step. And after a couple of failed attempts to hire uh, more experienced people that I could just hand that off to, I ended up just hiring someone that was more junior, but had kind of come off of a couple of sales floors and, and was good. I mm -hmm. uh, knew some people in my company and was and wanted to be here and was very persistent in making sure that he got a job. And I said, okay, awesome. He came on board. Uh, and we kind of just worked together for a for a year where I helped. He just kind of came along with me while I closed the deals. He supported me. He started working on some of the smaller ones himself and then eventually just got him up to speed. Um, once that happened, and as well, it actually happened with a couple of individuals, then that's when I actually started investing more in content, more in our own paid search and social advertising uh, to actually start to feed them leads regularly so that we could actually start to have consistent quotas and sales each month. That makes sense. Um, I know from, from, from my own experience, but also from talking to other people, finding that salesperson that, that can actually do the job is, is quite difficult. From your experience, what, are, what does someone need to have to be successful in sales and digital marketing? From my perspective, do they need to understand digital marketing? Is that something that that you looked for, or do they need to have certain characteristics in order to be successful? Yeah, so the, so the people on my team, uh, the less experienced sales team members are going to uh, follow a, a pretty specific questionnaire to identify if it's even a good fit for us to consider working together. Um, and that's what the junior roles will do. My, my senior team members that are actually putting together the strategy, the audits, the proposals, um, and closing the deals all have at least some experience doing the actual digital marketing and take very seriously staying abreast and up to speed with what's going on in the industry, the latest strategies, and um, are just fantastic marketers themselves. And so um, I do at least personally uh, think that if I'm going to sell something, I should understand it mm -hmm. and understand how it's going to apply for our clients. And so our people that are closing the deals, it, it takes a long time to develop and get them to that point. But I think that because of that, that's where 
you know, they do such a great job and positioning things for success for both ourselves and for the client. Mm -hmm. So the senior guys, they kind of, they're close to the deal. How do you use the junior ones? What are the tasks or the responsibility they have to take care of in order to feed the machine? Yeah, so we, um, we have enough demand from just inbound leads that it keeps them busy. We have a, we have a 17 point uh, touch points for any mm -hmm. inbound lead that comes in and they follow that program uh, with all the leads that are coming in. And then we just hire based on lead volume and demand that's coming in. But that's all they do. They just screen the inbound leads that are coming in. So talk about the screening. What does that include? What are you looking for um, to define whether a lead um, makes it to the next step? Yeah, we're, uh, you know, some of the obvious things that, that we're tactful about getting to, such as what are your goals and objectives? Do you have realistic expectations? What's your budget to accomplish those goals and uh, objectives? And is that even realistic? Mm -hmm. um, what's the time frame that you're expecting results and success in? Uh, what, what do results need to look like before you're willing to increase your budget? Uh, do you have the bandwidth and ability to fulfill on product or services if we do drive um, additional uh, business for you? And if so, how? How is that going to scale? How is that going to work? Mm -hmm. um, and so we just go through a variety of questions like that to just understand. We like to work with businesses that are interested in growth. Um, we, we, that are, have at least reasonable expectations that we can work with and that have a product and a service that we feel like we can actually be successful with. And we're never, a hundred, I mean, you know, in some industries, we're 100% that we'll be successful with them, but, but we try to be pretty transparent. If we feel like there's less than a 50% chance that we'll be successful with them, mm -hmm. we'll just tell them that and say, we're probably not the right fit. Um, and some still want to make it work, and we'll figure out if that makes sense. But for the most part, we just try to be pretty straight up and ask the questions that just allow us to tell them, this is, a, this is what you should expect from us. And this is what we can realistically do. And, um, you know, a lot of the businesses just really express their appreciation around the thought and detail that we put into the strategy, the recommendations, and just frankly telling them whether or not we're a good fit for them. We tell 80% of the businesses that reach out to us that we're not a good fit. We work in a similar way here, but I, having talked to a lot of clients, I think there are a lot of clients out there that wish that they would get that direct communication uh, rather than someone sugarcoating and saying they can deliver on the results the client would like to, to achieve, although it obviously is completely unrealistic. With, with, with prospects that, that you guys work with, when you go to a point, and maybe that now is, is, is different to, you know, two, three years ago, but what were the most common objections that you heard from prospects in regards to the fee that they might have to pay, in regards to suggestions, and how did you guys counter them, or how did you counter them? You know, we're, we're never the cheapest option. We're not, we're not always the most expensive either. We're usually kind of in the upper middle in terms of kind of how we've positioned our price points. At least that's um, kind of how it's typically been, uh, kind of on the higher end of middle. We, um, and when there's price objections, it's usually for two reasons. One of them is we, we haven't done a good job of positioning value. Mm -hmm. uh, or the other problem is they just don't have the budget to really work with us. And so what we really try to make sure that we understand is, hey, this is the solution that we feel like is going to best meet your needs. 
um, how confident do you feel that this is the right direction for your business? Um, this is the price point that it would take us to service that. Uh, how do you feel like that aligns with the value that you'd be getting from that? And so we just ask them straight up um, so that we can understand where their concerns are. And most of the time it either just highlights that we're not the right fit or we didn't do a good job of, of establishing value. Because I think one of the biggest challenges in our industry is uh, people underselling to get the contract mm -hmm. they, and, and then they can't allocate the appro uh, appropriate time and resources to get the results that are needed. And then everybody leaves feeling like they lost in the relationship when it ends versus, hey, maybe we close a little less, but we, but we position it in a way where our chances of being successful are pretty high. And, um, and just making sure we do a good job of explaining that. But price is definitely one. Uh, the other thing that we really try to understand is just expectations around, you know, if you're going to pick up the phone and call us four times a day and you want to do that for $2,000 a month, like, hey, this just isn't going to work, right? Um, we need you to trust us. We need you to be reasonable in your communication. Um, mm -hmm. And if you're going to freak out when we haven't doubled your business in 30 days, let's just not work together, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes, that makes total sense. Uh, I think we... We all uh, don't like the clients that are impatient and want to get results tomorrow, um, but don't want to pay what it requires to do that. Not that it's possible usually to to turn an account around within one or two days. Um, so as you've done a lot of business development activities to go from you know being a single operation to, you said earlier, 120 uh, men, or and women agency um the business development efforts that you did what were the ones that you tried and that did not work you know one of the ones that we haven't been able to quite figure out in terms of being able to be consistent and volume is through conferences we've sponsored a handful of conferences um we regularly speak at conferences mm -hmm. and um It's just not one that we've chosen to invest a lot in because we just haven't been able to find the consistent results that we're looking for there. Because not only just the cost, because just the cost of, of sponsoring or, or doing or attending these conferences is not that bad. Um, it's the opportunity cost. It's the amount of days and effort that go into that versus continuing to push on our own marketing efforts and driving that demand. Um, And, and so that, that's one that we've just struggled with. And, and quite frankly, I don't know that we'll pursue much other than conferences that we like to be at for, for reasons of learning and, and networking and, and being there beyond just business development. Do you think it is because it's kind of a congregation of, of agencies that all have the same, kind of the same goal, right? They, they do networking, but they're also going there in order to, or, with the hope to picking up new clients and it's just too dense. I think that's part of it, but we've gone to conferences where there's a lot of agency representation and conferences where there's almost no agency representation. And, um, you know, I, I just don't know that it's, we get clients from it, we get sales from it. But when I look at dollar for dollar and effort for effort that we get from our inbound marketing efforts, it just doesn't mm -hmm. scale and pay back as well. Okay. 
So it's a question of the return on advertising, basically. Yeah, and 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 probably even more important than the dollars, it's the time invested. Mm-hmm. Which okay. you could tie back to a dollar amount. I, guess. I was just about to say it all comes back to money, right? Yeah. Um, so conferences not so good from from kind of return on advertising or return on investment perspective. But what has worked or what works really well? What worked well in the beginning when you started? I think you mentioned earlier, you know, the the hustling and and, and kind of the networking. And what works now really well for you that you are a much bigger agency? It's all the same things, just at more scale. We produce more content than we've ever produced. We spend more marketing dollars um, than we ever have on paid search and retargeting and social media advertising and, and uh, video and media placements and those types of things. And, uh, you know, we, we spend about $100,000, $120,000 a month in marketing. Wow. And, uh, and so we, we do invest quite a bit in that. And, and we do drive in uh, quite a few leads every month. And, uh, and that's, again, we're not really doing it a whole lot different other than just at greater scale. And of course, we found efficiencies for things that tend to convert and work best for us. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so where you're now, obviously, I would assume that you kind of pulled yourself out of the more day-to-day campaign optimization selling part. But at what point in you know disruptive growing did you realize that you need to step out of the day-to-day and need to focus more on growing the agency? And, and what did you do in order to be able to do that? Well, there's a lot of things that, in terms of the day-to-day optimizations, that, that's accurate. Um, I'm still involved in, in uh, the strategy and, and closing down the larger engagements and making sure that we're aligned uh, for success. Mm-hmm. Um, I still do a lot of trainings um, and, uh, you know, but I think that really it's just kind of a natural progression. And I think that it's one that it's it's hard to it's hard to accelerate. I mean, I feel like we've gone through it real, pretty quickly. But at the end of the day, you know, we're we're making hires, and it just takes time for them to get their 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 foundation mm-hmm. and uh, to get really competent in the platforms the way that we do it. You know, it's interesting. We'll hire experienced people, but um, we just do things differently. And and to get aligned there and to communicate the way that we know to work best with our clients. Like it just takes a while to get people to that point. And so sometimes, you know, it just takes people 12, 18, 24 months before they're really solid and rocking and rolling and, and you can trust them to just be running with it. And so it's just been a progression of going through that first kind of generation of employees mm-hmm. and getting them to a good spot. And now that generation of getting the next generation to a good spot. Um, same thing on the sell side of things. And so, I would say, generally speaking, it's just been a natural progression as the uh, average skill set and competency progresses within the company. Okay. Um, you mentioned earlier that um, the first partner that you had teamed up with, um, you know, after two months, you separated. Um, who did you hire then as kind of the, the next first person to work with you? And, and what is your recommendation for someone that is a one-man operation, is on the brink of, I have to bring in the next person to, to, to kind of allow for, for growth? Um, what should they look out for? 
Well, I think that a lot of what it comes down to is people, we, we try to look for the easy way out. So we want to hire someone that can do all of it for us. And that's just not realistic. I, you know, if I did it all over again, I would have just gone a little bit slower and I would have hired someone that at least had the potential and ability to become strong technically first, to do the fulfillment, execution, and driving results in the account mm-hmm. and taking the time to get them to a really good spot. Sometimes those people can be great client communicators as well, sometimes not. Mm-hmm. But I would start with just, hey, let's just get someone up to speed that can actually make sure no, none of the balls get dropped and that the execution and optimizations are happening the way that they need to. Um, and just getting someone really, really good there because investing that time with that first person and getting them really strong uh, is going to pay big dividends because then they'll be able to help do that with the next person and the next person. And rather than trying to expect them to be good at everything. And, and I would even argue that you know, be, I, I would ca- I would uh, exercise caution even in the number of platforms that one is willing to service for a client because um, that's hard to train someone to be fantastic in, in Google ads as well as Facebook mm-hmm. ads um, in addition to understanding on-page experience and uh, what effective image and motion ads look like that engage it's, and copywriting and all of those things. And it's, you know, I think just stay focused and and take your time going through that process. And I think for the most part, we did that uh, early on in the business. We really focused on Google ads and landing pages mm-hmm. to help those uh, clicks convert. And then branched out into social and some site testing and email and some other things that we do now as an organization. But we, we really waited until we were solidified in one area before expanding from there. And I think that that's where a lot of people get caught up is trying to do too much too soon. That's a that's a good point, actually. And the next question I have for you is actually around that. What do you do when when you have a client that you know you already service from a from a paid search perspective, paid social perspective, do some landing page um, optimization or creation, and they all of a sudden want to have SEO, email marketing, programmatic media buys, um, direct buys. What are you guys doing? What have you done in the past, and what are you doing now? Um, in order to, you know, either fulfill what they need or how do you deal with that? Well, the answer to me is is simply this. Is it a service that we can effectively provide to at least 80% of our clients? Mm-hmm. And if the answer is no, this is just kind of a one-off situation or maybe here and there, the answer for us is just no, we're not going to do it. Um, if it's one that we say, actually, we would like to do this for 80% of our clients, um, and we feel like we can do it well, let's run a couple of pilots. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how we've addressed it in the past. And, um, you know, that's how we got, you know, initially the vast majority of our revenue was tied to Google ads. Um, and now it's about 50% of our revenue is tied to Google ads. And I expect that as a percentage to continue to decrease um, as we've kind of gone through those pilots. Social now represents a large part of the business. Mm-hmm. Website testing and optimization is now a big part of the business. Analytics and data insights, um, uh, email, those types of things. And so, you know, that, that that's how I that's how I look at it. If I could do it for eighty percent of my clients and do it well, um, or at least I think I could, then I'm willing to pilot it, um, and then go from there. But the reality is, we didn't even start expanding our offering until we were probably. 30, 40 employees. Interesting. I think we're kind of 
going towards the end of the podcast. So I have, I have two more questions for you. So the, the first one is, how do you stay up to date? Earlier, I mentioned going to network events, going to conferences. Are there any particular online sources that you frequently look at in order to, to see what is the latest and greatest? Well, selfishly, I think our own blog is one of the best resources out there mm -hmm. um, because it, uh, it's based on what's really happening uh, mm -hmm. with our clients and what we're seeing going on in the market. Um, and so, you know, that's we invest a lot in that. And it's not just for, I mean, it's all public, but it's also for internal use so that employees can stay up to speed and know what each other are doing and what's, what's working and what's not and what, what, what used to work and what doesn't work anymore and those mm -hmm. kind of things. But for me personally, um, I've shifted into working a lot more on leadership development, uh -huh. uh, the processes of the company, our own marketing efforts. And so that's where I'm spending a lot of my time. I mean, I listen to usually about two books on Audible a month. Um, I like to, le to read uh, a lot of articles. Um, I like to do a lot of those types of things. I've, I've always had a business coach um, since the first few months of the business. Mm -hmm. And I've found tremendous value in that. And, I've all, and uh, now I've got a CFO and a finance team, but early on I also had a finance coach that took the time to help me understand the numbers really well and how to be disciplined in, in running the business. And that's, those are the things that I'm focused on. Um, and then internally we have our own, uh, you know, proprietary training program, content articles. Uh, uh, and we've got an internal network called the grid is how we get everybody up to speed and keep things fresh and real. Um, but then we also follow industry stuff. Like we've always enjoyed, uh, follow, you know, I follow like the, the unbound, uh, blog and the WordStream blog and some of Neil Patel's stuff and uh, and a lot of those things as well. From your perspective, where do you see the next opportunity? Um, it might not be in a, on a PPC side uh, for for companies to increase marketing efforts or to to use a new channel to drive additional business. Is there anything from your perspective out there that is flying under the radar at the moment, but might come up over the next two, three years? Well, I'll give you the boring answer first, um, and then we can talk about some things that I see coming down the pipeline. The boring answer is, so we've developed a, a, an audit and recommendation software tool that we use. We use it in our sales process, and then we use it for the ongoing monitoring and mm -hmm. management of all of our accounts. That way we make sure all the right things are happening and that accounts are performing where they need to be. Number one thing we've now done, I believe over 6,000 audits um, that we've got documented. And number one thing that we see is, is budgets are used poorly. Mm -hmm. In that, uh, if we think specifically of, on Google, and this also applies to Facebook, but we'll talk about Google first. Um, I'm spreading my budget out too thin I don't even know what's actually working because I'm running into my budget runs out at 11 a.m. because I spread it out so thin and all my top and bottom performers turn off at the exact same time. Mm -hmm. um, so budget utilization is the number one thing that I see companies doing wrong. And just making some simple changes there, they can either drive the exact same result at a fraction of the budget or they can drive dramatically better results at the same budget. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's, that's what we see, you know, kind of the blocking and tackling just proper account mm -hmm. structure 
and budget allocations. And when that's done, uh, you know, our the, the companies that we work with see dramatic lift. The same thing exists on the on the Facebook side of things, where too many people are are testing really broad, not very many audiences with not very much creative. And when you think about that, that's like putting all of your eggs on two keywords with two ads and hoping that your AdWords accounts work. <laughs> uh, well, with Facebook, if you test two audiences with two ad creatives, that's like the same thing. And what we see most businesses doing wrong there is, well, why not be testing 20 audiences with 20 creative? Now you've just given yourself 400 opportunities to win. Mm-hmm. Um to find something that works so long as the budget permitting, right? We don't want to sure. uh, stretch the budget out too much there. And so those are the things that I see from a blocking and tackling fundamentals like that people need to get on top of. Um, the other thing that we're seeing is that a lot of the um, automation software that's out there currently is, is somewhat quickly becoming obsolete with smart bidding on uh, within Google on a variety of things, shopping, uh, display, some of those things where we're just not seeing third-party platforms outperform those anymore mm-hmm. um, uh, or manual optimizations. And so I think that the opportunity from an agency side and internally from a, from a marketing manager, director uh, type position is the real value of a marketer is not in the ability to change a bid. Uh, it's not in the ability to rotate out and add to test. Uh, those are the basics and they should mm-hmm. be automated over time. Uh, if the big boys don't do it, I'll do it right it should be automated because that's just what that's just the basics of what should be happening the focus should be on strategy and understanding uh, what buyer personas drive the best lifetime value um, at an appropriate acquisition cost Mm -hmm. and thinking and 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 focusing uh, finding the right types of customers more um, and figuring out how to give them a better experience and get them to buy again and more um, rather than just trying to be a solution for everything in the industry and taking a lot of the crappy and the good customers at the same time, focus the dollars on where it matters. And that's the part that I think just internally in a marketing position or at an agency, that's where the value is currently and will continue to be independent of all of the machine learning and, and artificial intelligence that, that's flooding into the market right now mm-hmm. because it's just automating what should be automated. And and it's not replacing good marketers. It's just yeah. replacing bad marketers that are just doing the basics and want to get paid for for doing like manual labor type things in the account that just don't need to be uh, a part of that long term anymore. That's a that's a great point. Um, I'd love to talk more about that, uh, but <laughs> unfortunately, we come to the end of the podcast. Jake, great to have you on the show. Um, love your answers. If, if someone, if, if a company needs help with their PPC campaigns, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, I mean, easiest way is just go to disruptiveadvertising.com. Reach out to us. We'd be glad to run our audit tool for you and, and just give you some free pointers and direction on your Google or Facebook accounts. And, uh, and then if we were the right fit to work together, great. If not, we'd just love to see people be successful on their accounts. Great. Um, Thanks everyone for listening. If you like the Performance Delivered podcast, please subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast application. If you want to find out more about Symphonic Digital, you can visit us at symphonicdigital.com or follow us on Twitter at SymphonicHQ. Thanks again and see you next time. Performance Delivered is sponsored by Symphonic Digital. 
Discover audience-focused and data-driven digital marketing solutions for small and medium businesses at symphonicdigital.com.